Uh, we are in this really incredible series on, um, on prayer, and I don't know if any of you have been loving it as much as I have, but I am really loving it just because I think that we can get kind of stuck in our own niche of praying, and then we start to feel a little, I don't know, little, either lost or just bored, or, and th- I think that this is a really great um, series just to kind of knock us out of our comfort zones, and um, you know, kind of teach us new things about what God wants for us and, and how he wants us to, to speak with him. And so um, t- we're, today we're going to be in Luke 11. And uh, I, I don't think that I'm the only person in this room who, uh, who would say that prayer has not always been a very strong suit of mine. Oh, believe me, I pray all the time. Um, but somehow, most of my prayers end up being like Pastor Kyle was talking about last week, where it's just those asking prayers. And even though I'm really good at doing those asking prayers with very um, sophisticated spiritual words, and so sometimes God might hear the wife inside of me saying, God, please bless my husband's job, you know, so that we can keep tithing and like that's I'm sure what God wants to hear but in reality God knows that I have that anxious heart for like finances and security and things like that and so he can definitely see past that nonsense and he might hear the mother inside of me praying God please just help me to raise my kids in a way that is honorable and respectful when in reality he knows that the prayer of my heart is in that moment in Walmart that I am just praying that once again Ollie will not throw himself in the middle of an aisle in front of somebody's cart in an absolute fit because that's happened and it's devastating and I look like a hot mess and so we might throw some of those holy words into our prayers and we might beautify them and um But at the heart of it, sometimes prayer can be sort of that transactional process rather than a friendship. And so, God, if I do this, I know that hopefully you'll do that. And if you do this, I promise to do that. And I will sit here for five minutes and show you my complete devotion to you if you promise to do this. And and so um, it can tend to be a little bit more of a vending machine relationship where I put in my quarter and I get my need. Um, But... It's not to say that our love for God is any less because we ask him of things. You know, we've talked about that. You know, one of the most profound things that uh, Kyle said a couple weeks ago is that even if all we ever did was ask God for things, he's still glad that we show up. He's still glad that we depend on him. But his relationship with us can be much deeper, and um, there's more to the heart of God than that. And there's more that we can discover about his goodness Um, Oswald Chambers says, if God sees that my spiritual life will be furthered by giving the things for which I ask, then he will give them, but that's not the end of prayer. The end of prayer is that I come to know God himself. And I think that that's kind of where our Father wants us to be, is in that relationship where we don't just ask for things and hope that we get them, but that we enter into communion and friendship with him. So if we were honest with ourselves, many of us would admit that we have not even just scratched the surface of discovering those things about him. And um, I think that prayer can sometimes be a weak point for us. We might not enjoy it. We might get bored. We might not know what to say when we finally get to that point of prayer. Um, We might not hate praying, but we feel bad about how little we do it. And and so... um, 
The first step, though, to admitting to healing is admitting that you have a problem, right? So, hello, my name is Vanessa, and I am a neglectful prayer. Hi, Vanessa. There we go. <laughs> but you know who is not a neglectful prayer? Jesus. So, hey, we're going to learn about that today. For Jesus, prayer was absolutely essential to his life with God. Even as God in the flesh, he still even if he wanted to move a mountain with the flick of his wrist, he could. And yet still, he knew how important it was to stay plugged in to that outlet in heaven in order for him to stay fully charged for the ministry. And so if even Jesus needed that, then how much more do we need that as well? And so prayer is more than asking God for stuff. It's more um, than just kind of that back and forth. It's, it goes so much deeper than that. And so our prayer life, though, if you think about it, is kind of like that mirror that we hold up to ourselves, and it's a reflection of our relationship with him. So we are only as good as our prayer life is. We are only as close to God as our, as our prayer life. And that kind of is a good gauge for you if you're wondering, where am I kind of at with God? Well, how's your prayer life? And that might tell you a lot. And so for Jesus, prayer was everything. Even Jesus knew that he was easily distracted enough that he had to go away to those lonely places and pray, as it said in Luke uh, 5. And so when I was a little girl, uh, my dad, one summer, I think I was five, my dad said that he was going to build a tree house for us. And um, so back in the woods, he started this process in the summer. And you know how dads get really busy. And so we, he started in the summer. It came to be winter. He kind of stopped the project for a little bit, but then it never really picked up again. And it actually looked a lot like that. So it was basically a ladder going up to a flat service with one wall. And so it wasn't the best tree house, but like it was all that I needed to be able to sing my music videos and to get away and to write my songs. And so at five years old, I was not, did not have much of a vocabulary. So most of the songs consisted of, but I love him and he loves me too. And that's about all the song that I could write, but it was the perfect place for me to like set everything up. And then, so I could be myself up on the tree house and, but if I ever felt like somebody was coming or somebody was sneaking up behind me, then I would get very somber and very mature so that I would not, you know, uh, jeopardize anybody's view of me being a very put-together, sophisticated five-year-old. And so I think, though, that Jesus set the example of going away to lonely places because he knew us well enough to know that sometimes we need to get away to those lonely places to truly be ourselves with him. Oh, God. <laughs> I think that that's awesome. And so, uh, you know, in our, in our quiet places, we can be happy, we can be sad, we can be angry, we can be overjoyed, we can shake our fists, and we can ugly cry. Oh, my goodness, the ugly cry. We can stomp our feet. We can do all of those things in his presence. And it really is my thought that the Father would rather see the fist shaking and the foot stomping in his presence and in his company than for us to have that piety and that false humility in the presence of other people. And so um, aside from just being able to be himself in front of the Father, I think that um, Jesus went away to those lonely places just because he enjoyed the Father's company. And so um, it wasn't something that he had to do. It's something that he craved to do. And... Um, 
I think that all of us, if you think about it, have that one person in your life, that one friend that you can just be who you are and it's not a whole lot of work and you don't have to like overcomplicate things and there's no struggle and there's no obligations. You just are who you are. And for the most part, I have a friend, she lives in Worcester now, but she is that for me. So whenever my amazing husband says, Vanessa, go away for the night. I'll watch the kids. You just go have some me time. That is where I go. I go to Worcester and I see Sam because it's with Sam that we spend almost a complete 24 hours watching YouTube videos, eating and taking, I'm serious, we'll take naps. And so like she is the best friend because she she just there's no complication there's no struggle we don't feel like we understand that life is hard enough as it is than to add all of that other stuff in it and so we just make it easy and we laugh but if if one of us is having a tough time then we put on the seriousness and we get to the bottom of it and we'll talk about it and we'll work through it but for the most part it's like it's just very easy And I think that that is who the Father is for us. I think his deepest desire is to be that buddy that we go to whenever we have the chance. You know, I don't know that he is as serious or puts as much pressure on us as we think he does or that we do on ourselves. I had a German teacher in school who didn't teach German. She taught trigonometry. (laughs) Put that together. But she was always really seen, she's this tiny woman, she probably weighed 90 pounds soaking wet, but she was like a disciplinarian, she was very strict and people were usually afraid of her. But like whenever she saw two people laughing, she would get in the middle of it and say, tell me what you're laughing about, I want to laugh too, you know? And so like that's who she was and at the heart of it, I believe that's kind of Jesus. I think that, you know, a lot of times we see God as that strict disciplinarian, but sometimes he just wants to laugh with us. Sometimes he wants in on the joke. Sometimes he wants to be that part of that personal part of our lives. And, uh, and sometimes we just don't think that is who he is. So um, it's tough to get to that place, though, with him, with little or no communication or relationship. And so how do we get to that place of friendship with him? And I think that that's one of the questions. That's why the disciples asked the question that they asked. Um, They saw Jesus going away to be with his father and coming back re-energized and refreshed. Um, They saw that, they, they desired that. Teach us how to do that, God. Teach us how to spend time with the father and to, and to have that sort of friendship that you have with him. Teach us how to pray. And so um, Jesus' answer to that was uh, Luke 11, which was the Lord's Prayer. And that is going to be our prayer pra- practice this week um, in week three. So most of us, if, you know, most of us have an idea at least of what the Lord's Prayer is. You know, you were either taught it as you were little or you've always been in church so you've always heard it or you've seen it on TV or somebody has recited it in either a funeral or some sort of service that you've gone to. And so um, even if you're not really a church-going person, you probably recognize it. And so most of us, some of us might even brag that we, you know, have it recited word for word, although for the most part, yes, me, but I don't, I always get the kingdom and power and glory mixed up, and I think it's because some versions don't have that part in the Bible, and so I think I learned from the wrong version, so I'm working on that. This is helping me, this, (laughs) this lesson. So the point that you need to know about this prayer is that reciting it and moving on leaves a lot to be desired, and so you can't really enjoy it unless you, like, spend some time in it, so it's like a template. It's like knowing the makeup of a Walmart, 
So most of us, if we walk into a Walmart, we kind of know where everything is because most Walmarts are pretty much the same. Except if you go to the Liberty Walmart, then you'll just ruin your life with the backwardsness of all of it. But yep, see, thank you. So you go into like Elm Road and it's like, yeah, I know where everything is. And then I don't know what happened there in Liberty. So I don't go there very often because it throws me off. So if we see the Lord's Prayer as a template that shapes our prayer life, that in itself can kind of unlock um, so much in our closeness of God. And so each moment that you practice this Lord's Prayer, it all begins the same as all the other prayers. You get to a quiet place, you get alone, and you get undistracted. So you, you put your phone in another, another room, you put your kids in another house, let's be honest, and you get quiet. And give yourself a bit of time because, you know, it's not going to take the whole night, but it is going to require a little bit of your attention. So you get into a comfortable but alert position. Comfortable but alert. I had a friend uh, when I was in ministry school who, who was infamous for falling asleep whenever we would pray. And at first he said that he felt bad about it, but then he said, you know what, I've been thinking about it, and what better way to fall asleep than in the arms of Jesus? Okay, so um, let's uh, <laughs> stay alert, people. And so the next step after you've gotten to that place is just, as we always have, just to invite the Holy Spirit to just be there, to be a part of this time so that you can get the most out of it. Be there to help you in the conversation. Because this might be new for people, so you might need that extra help, and that's okay. The one thing to remember in this prayer practice is that though our relationship with the Father should not be all about asking him for things, it should be an intentional conversation and back and forth with our Creator. So give him space to work. Give him time to move and to speak. And so this practice is going to sound a lot like last week's, if you, if you practice that. It's taking a scripture and it's breaking it down into something really meaningful. Um, so the first part, our Father. So we're going to stop there. Our Father. What does that mean to you? If you stop and you think, my Father, my Father. A lot of times what we do in our walk with God is sometimes we'll project our earthly experiences on our heavenly conceptions. And so what that means is, for me... A lot of times I see my, my father in heaven a lot like my earthly father. And in that case, that means that God to me is Mr. Fix-It. My dad can fix anything. You give him a project and he will fix it. You show him a car and you do this, he can fix it. If the washer's making a funny noise, he'll figure it out in 15 minutes and he'll have it fixed. Um, so he can do pretty much anything, electrical, construction, mechanical, don't put a computer in front of him because that is not his forte, but everything else he's pretty good at, he's Mr. Fix-It. And so to me, in my head and in my heart, God, my father, is Mr. Fix-It. And so if I say, you know, this is broken, God, I need you to fix it. My kid is sick, I need you to fix it. I'm really having a struggle in my work, fix it. And in my head and in my heart, he will. And that's just kind of the relationship that I have with him. And so some of you might have that experience with him, but then some of you might be asking, well, what if my father, my earthly father, was just either not that good or not at all? And so in that case, what my best suggestion to you would be go, go to the word and find out what the word says about your father in heaven. Um, you can go on a little bit of an adventure of discovering who he is. If you have to write it on a note card, write it on a note card, but you can find those scriptures that talk about him being you know, faithful and loving and gracious and forgiving and all-knowing and sacrificial and 
all of those things so that you know that when you are talking to your Father in heaven, this is who you're talking to. You're talking to a very close and loving person. And so in this first part of the prayer, you picture a loving father, maybe even trying to picture his face, go into a room with him. We're very visual people, so visualize it. That might help you in that process of discovering him and experience that confidence that you get when you're speaking to somebody who really wants to speak with you. And so that's our Father. So the next part is in heaven, our Father in heaven. So you just can take a minute to think about what that means. The heavens are not just up there. The heavens are all around us, especially if you've stepped across the line of faith and you have Jesus in your heart. Heaven is everywhere around you. It's in your home. It's in our church. It's in your workplace. It might not feel like that, but everywhere that you carry Jesus, that's where heaven is around you. And so his power, his majesty, all of that follows you. It's close enough. He's close enough to call you son or daughter, his little buddy, his little princess, but he's big enough to hold the entire world in his hands. And so that's the God that you serve, the God of Isaiah 51, who stretched out the sky like a canopy and laid the foundations of the earth. And so as you take a moment to meditate on that, you can Imagine breathing the same air as your Father, breathing more of the Holy Spirit. You can relax in the knowledge that you are in the same room as your Creator, the very same Creator who chose to send His precious Son to die just so He can have this moment with you. That's a good thought to have when you're entering into this conversation with Him. So the next part is, hallowed be your name. If I was to ask anybody in this room, I am not sure that anybody would be confident enough to tell me what hallowed means by definition. And so... Um, anybody? Oh, okay, so three. Excuse me. <laughs> Deathly hallows, no. I don't think so in this. <laughs> we'll, look at, we'll look at the Greek. Or, so what, do we, uh, what does it mean? It means to make holy or to demonstrate as holy. So what do we do in this moment? You make God holy. You lift him up. You give him props, okay? For all of the cool, amazing things that are in your life, you sit with him, and you're joyful, and you're grateful, and you adore him. You worship him. This is your moment to, to tell him the awesome things that are happening in your life, the awesome things about him. You talk about all the reasons that you appreciate him in your life and in your walk. David did this all the time in his psalms. So if you're ever at a loss for words, go to the psalms, because David was really good at this. If you can't think of anything to really just thank him for, look inward at your own human body and just marvel about that. Even David did that in Psalm 139. He says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. So this is your opportunity in prayer to just really make God famous for a moment and to just really lift him up. And there's no need to hold back and there's, you can't go too far with that. So the next part is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One of the reasons I appreciate God's place in my life is because I am literally a hot mess without him. 
I can tend to be very anxious. I can be very scattered. I can't prioritize. So when I can't prioritize, I get really overwhelmed. And when I get overwhelmed, I shut down. I don't know if anybody else is like that, but I'm, I'm prone to anxiety. I'm prone to depressed moments. And so that's why I, I appreciate God's place in my life because he kind of, uh, he's not a hot mess. So it's really nice that he is calm, cool, and collected when I am losing my mind, okay? So um, the nice thing about Jesus is that in those moments, he carries that burden with us. He kind of comes up alongside of us, and he, he carries that burden with us. And so when, when my life is falling apart at the seams, he's right there, right behind me, stitching up all of those torn seams and ending up making them stronger than they were before. And so that's who Jesus is. And so if we know that heaven... In heaven, all things are strong and pure and perfect and, and new. I think it is okay to believe that walking with Jesus would cause those broken parts of our life here on earth to be strong and pure and perfect and new. I don't think that that is outside of the scope of what, of what God does. And so this is, that, this is what that part of the prayer is for, asking for God's will in those parts of your life um, where you don't have that much control. In fact, this is a great time to pray for those areas that you feel like you need to have control over that you just really don't. I mean, let's be honest, but, but asking for his will in those areas, for God, for heaven to invade earth and touch those areas of our lives that mean so much to us and our families and our friends and our workplace and our church, our community, our nation, our world. This is that moment that you pray for God's will. And so you get specific um, because his will is really so much better than mine. And I'll be the first to say that. So God, may your will be done in my church, whatever that is. May your will be done with my children. May your will be done in my marriage. May your will be done in Champion and in Warren. This is a great prayer to play, pray when, when you are having a hard time letting go of control. The tighter you hold on to your kids, the more they push away. And I'm starting to even see that with a five-year-old and a two-year-old. Like sometimes you just have to, oh my, let go and let God. And I know that's so cliche, but it's like kind of true. I'm only a steward. God, have your way with them. I'm only a steward. They are your kids. They're not mine. I'm just trying to take care of them in the best way that you would want me to. If your marriage is spiraling out of control with, with conflict and unresolved arguments, and God, have your way with my marriage. May your, maybe your future, if you're in here and you're a college kid or you're about to go into college and you literally have no idea what your future looks like, God, have your will in my future. Have your will in tomorrow and what I'm going to do next week and in the next month. And, and you can kind of begin to see God's, plan for that area of your life. So this is your opportunity to imagine what earth would look like if heaven invaded, and then pray like that. And so the next part is give us each day our daily bread. This idea of daily bread goes back to the Old Testament when the Israelites were leaving Egypt and they were going to land and they were starving in the desert and God was gracious enough to uh, poor manna from heaven. And the, the funny thing about the way that God did that is that he would only give you enough for today. If you waited overnight, there'd be maggots and it would be rotting and you wouldn't be able to eat it. If you tried to hoard it, it would, it would all be rotten. So you couldn't save up. You could only um, get 
enough for that day. And why did God do that? It's because God wants, and he wanted those Israelites to trust him for every single moment of their lives. And so if they were able to hoard it and to um, pack it up and to take it for the week, then they wouldn't have depended on him as completely as it, unless, you know, he was giving it to them day by day. And so um, the way that God treats us is, is he has given us and he has woven inside of us, like David said, those um, those gifts and those talents, those abilities to provide for ourselves and to work hard and to, and to do really incredible things on earth, but it's all with the caveat that we depend on him with our entire lives. And so each day he gives us exactly what we need when we need it. He is our very sustenance. And so in this part of the prayer, you have permission to ask God for your needs and for the needs of those around you, for your family and for your friends. It's in this moment that you can pray for finances and provision. It's okay to pray for the healing of a friend or somebody who's going through a difficult time. It's in this moment that you can pray, you know, for specific things, um, because he is our sustenance, and he is our provision, and it's okay to talk to him like he is. And so you can use this time to lift up those you love in prayer and express your own needs. The next part is forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Unforgiveness in your heart is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. The only person that it ends up hurting is you. Forgiveness is a huge thing to God. We we read these scriptures that say that God cannot forgive us unless we forgive others. There are scriptures that say if you're coming to the altar to make an offering, don't even think about doing it until you've forgiven your brother if you're holding bitterness in your heart. It's a big deal, and so it's something that we should definitely take seriously. So essentially, this prayer is, a, is not an either-or, it's a both-and. God cannot forgive us unless we forgive others. But we forgive others because we know that God has forgiven us. And so in this moment, it's, it's okay and it's good to pray the prayer that David prays in Psalms. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. And just having that awareness that there probably is something in our heart that offends God, um, it's enough to bring us closer to him because it makes us aware that we are ever-changing and we're ever-growing and that we're ever more in need of his grace and forgiveness in our lives. And so you can take this moment to realize any unforgiveness or anything that offends him, and I promise you if we pray that prayer, God will bring something to your attention. It's not like he's going to say, nope, you're good you're good, you just keep on going. No, he'll probably bring something up, maybe that you said or thought during the day, maybe a bad attitude that you had, maybe it was downright something blatant, but, but whatever it is, he'll bring that to your attention. And it's just that chiseling that, that Kyle was talking about last week. It's just that, that it's, he's constantly chiseling at our ears and helping us to hear even better, and it's through that. Um, so you search your heart for anything that offends God and allow his forgiveness to cover you, but also just make sure that you're always aware of when there might be that little bit of unforgiveness in your heart. In this next part, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When we step across the line of faith, something really strange starts to happen in us. 
Um, the life that we used to live somehow doesn't quite make sense anymore. It doesn't sit as well with us. It kind of has a lot more, the things that we used to do, the sinful things that we used to do, kind of feel a lot more icky to us. And it doesn't sit well. Um, this is the magic of conviction. And so if you've ever heard of the word conviction, usually it comes with like a little bit of a bad connotation. But conviction is a really, really beautiful thing. If you think of condemnation, condemnation is not from God. It is from the enemy. Condemnation will tell you, you made a mistake again. You messed up. How many times are you going to do this? What a failure. You are not as strong of a Christian as you thought that you were. Yada, yada, yada. That is not from God. Conviction is, and conviction is beautiful. It's that yellow light. I used to be a children's pastor, and the way that we would explain the Holy Spirit and just his words in us is just a stoplight. And so we understand that the red light in our spirit says, ah, 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 totally, totally very bad. Blatant sin, don't do that, stay away from that. Green light means go, this is good, this is a good thing, you're doing a good thing, you're listening to me, you're going strong. That yellow light in your spirit is conviction. And it's basically, it tells you to be careful because you're treading very, very closely to a line that you should not cross. Be careful because you're about to lower your standards. Be careful because you're about to make a mistake that you're probably going to regret. And so the magic of the yellow light is that the more that we listen to it, the brighter it becomes and the better we're able to see it and obey it. And so the Bible says that the enemy, he comes to steal and kill and destroy. And once we say yes to Jesus, those crosshairs focus a little bit more on us. But usually what we think is that the devil, he's like in these catastrophic events where, you know, um, if you're a recovering addict and you see your drug of choice standing right in front of you and there's that temptation, or you're, um, you're on the computer and that pop-up shows up that takes you deep into the dark places of the internet, or um, you come across that person that you just can't stand and they just say that one thing that just tips you over the edge and you end up having this encounter that you're embarrassed about or that you offended or... And yes, I do believe that the devil is in those details, but I believe that his way of tempting us and his way of swaying us happens way before that. And I believe that the devil kind of gets to us by saying that God is not who he says he is and that he has not done the work in you that he said that he has done and that you have experienced. And so rather than give us these catastrophic events, he starts to plant those seeds of doubt in our heart, and then he doesn't have to work that hard to make us fail because we've already started that thought process inside of us of doubt. And maybe he didn't do, maybe God didn't do what he said he did. And so what do we do? We pray. We pray against those things. You pray against evil. You pray against temptation. You pray over your heart and your mind for protection against the arrows of doubt that the, that the enemy shoots our way. Tempta temptation also translates as trouble. You pray against trouble. Pray against calamity. You pray against specific sins. Your sin. We all have that thing that Paul says is that, that sin that so easily entangles us. It's that specific sin that gets us again and again and again. You can pray against that. My sin might not necessarily be adultery or greed, but it sure can be pride and it sure can be anger. And so those are my sins. Those are the things that I deal with on a daily basis. And if I'm not careful and if I don't keep myself prayed up, then those things can just entangle me just as quickly as they did 10 years ago. And so there's those things that we'll always be dealing with, but prayer against those sins um, is so powerful. 
And it's daily, but it's powerful. And so once you've prayed against temptation and trouble, then you can pray for God's blessing in those areas of your life, his protection, his grace, his favor. And the last part of the prayer is the best part of the prayer. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And why is this the best part? Because it's a reminder before the amen of who you serve and whose you are. It's that constant reminder that life can throw us curveballs and joys and pains and griefs and adventures, but what it all boils down to is that it is all with him alongside of us, and it's all for him. Everything that we experience here on this earth is for him, and so our lives are but a breath, and so in the grander scheme of things, these things that we experience here on earth are light and momentary. But his kingdom and his power and his glory are forever. And so it makes this life really, really worth living. And so this prayer is just not another thing that we can check off our list. Jesus could have given a three-day seminar on how to pray. But instead, he gave us these few lines to follow. Why? Because it's all-encompassing. It covers every aspect of our lives. Our joys, our fears, our needs, our shortcomings, our failures and ultimately our reliance on him. And so as we pray through the Lord's Prayer together this week, it's my prayer that we come to a deeper understanding of God's place in our lives and in every nook and cranny of our lives, and that in that we can find our relationship with him to be much more than that transactional vending machine kind of relationship, but a true, deep, meaningful friendship with him. Um, as he's just as constantly pursuing us for that. And so um, let's pray. Father, um, I, I am so incredibly thankful that your son Jesus gave us this model to follow. I thank you that, um, that you make us very aware of our needs, that we need uh, protection against temptation, that we need daily bread, that we need forgiveness, Father, I, I thank you that this week as we pray through this prayer uh, that our awareness of you will grow and that every moment of our day will be full of the knowledge that you not only just love us, but you would love a friendship with us. And so I just thank you so much for the work that you're doing in the hearts of your people, for the work that you're doing in me. And um, I thank you that we're never done. We, are, we have never reached perfection. We have never reached um, it. But that we will always be working towards you and discovering who you are and uh, just enjoying that relationship with you. And so, God, we bless you and we honor you and we love you with all of our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen.